Thank you so much. Really great to be here. I, uh, I've heard great things about this church from Phil, and I love Phil. So excited to meet his brother and just be here with you guys. And Ben, thanks for the invitation. It's good to be here. I actually love coming up to Seattle. It's be- Whenever the sun's out, I will say that. Can I qualify that? I, I, the last two times I've been up here, sun's out, and I'm like, this place is beautiful. Um, it's beautiful, and uh, so it's good to be here. I, we came from dinner at, by Mod Pizza and then drove here on 164th? which is less than a mile away. And in less than a mile, I lost my salvation three times. <laughs> Legitimately lost my salvation. And I don't even know if I have that theology, but something had, in, in I don't know what's going on. I don't know who planned your city. I don't know like who thought this was, but it was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And uh, so I had to like take a few minutes and get centered and find my peace again. It was bad. Okay, but um, this is my experience with Mill Creek so far is 164th Street <laughs> at 5 o'clock. Man, God bless him. So um, anyways, it is good to be here. Uh, I, I do have a book. I usually don't actually mention my book. I'm horrible at it, but I actually feel like I'm supposed to right now, actually enough, because I'm not going to preach on it. But, uh, but I wrote a book called Rooted, called The Hidden Places Where God Develops You. And um, it's really around, I wanted to come along people. What I've realized so much is that uh, what we all have in common in here is that we're in process and God's trying to grow us. And a lot of people, um, they get frustrated or derailed or discouraged in the process simply because they don't have context for it. So God comes and he plants a seed in your heart. He plants a word, a vision, a dream, a desire. But when a seed gets planted in your your life, the next step is not fruit. We all want fruit. We're all excited about fruit. The next step is not fruit. The next step is roots. And he goes to work at developing the roots in your life. And it's hidden and it's it's messy and it's not linear, but it is the most important growth. The most important growth is when God begins to develop your life. And I will tell you this, that God is not interested in your vision. Uh, This sounds horrible, right? God, God doesn't develop your vision. He develops you. Like a lot of people are frustrated because their, their vision isn't happening. And I'm like, God develops you and out of a healthy you comes your vision. Out of a healthy you is an overflow, but God does care about your vision. But, 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 he, but he, he really is trying to develop you and he can do that anywhere. And, and that's the thing. And a lot of people are wondering, like, I don't see God at work in my life. And I'm like, that's because you need to look down here. And if you look, God is never not working in your life, ever. He's never not working. We just miss it many times. He's developing your life under the surface in hiding because he's trying to grow you. And so we talk about that. Really walk through the process a little bit, try to encourage you and give you context around that as well as, and he can develop you anywhere. Uh, again, God doesn't, uh, for, uh, God doesn't develop you on stage. He develops you in hiding, in secret. And so we go through that and just talk about three soils, the life of David and this, the soil of intimacy in the field, the soil of serving with Saul and then the soil of community in the cave. It's amazing how God develops our life in these soils. He develops our life in community. He full on with David. He stuck him with a bunch of messed up people and said, figure it out. And, uh, and then he developed his life. And this is the thing. God gives us a word. He gave, David was anywhere between 10 and 15 years old when he received the anointing and the word to be king but it wasn't almost two decades later when he was 30 that he actually became king. And uh, God developed his life that entire time, and that's what he's trying to do with you, so we wrote a book about that. Sound good? 
All right. It is good to be here. My family is uh, still in California. My son has a basketball game uh, this uh, this weekend, so I'm, I'm going to be you know FaceTiming him and watching it. But they, um, I, I have three kids. Uh, I've been married for 20 years to the same woman, and uh, I have a 19-year-old uh, daughter who's a first year in college. I have a 15-year-old daughter who's first year in high school, and I have a 12-year-old son who's first year of middle school. And so uh, this was a big year for us. This was the big transition year. Everybody went up. It gradu- graduated into high school, college, and middle school. And uh, it, it, I don't know. Does anybody have a kid that's left for college, their first one that's left for college? I, that's a, I don't know. That's a weird ex- I literally am looking for like a support group. And you think I'm kidding. And I'm like, so is there like a support group? You join online? Or how's that work? It was a little crazy, and uh, and I can tell a little bit. I don't know if anybody's in this, but as I get in, you know, as I'm up into my 40s, I'm starting to use the phrase "back in my day" a lot more, <laughs> and it's a little bit odd because I'm like, well, back in my day, and this happened because graduations this year all jumped up. So, but but you know, you have one out of high school, you have one out of junior high, middle school, but then my son. You know, they have, one in, they, they have one now in pre-K, they have one in kindergarten. And then my son, who's in fifth grade and went to sixth grade, they had a graduation, full-blown graduation. And I think it's the stupidest thing ever. I'm like, this is dumb, why, why? And I'm finding myself like, back in my day, we just went from fifth to sixth. Like, we didn't need a graduation. He goes to a Christian school, full-blown ceremony. I was the keynote speaker at it. They came in, and I had the keynotes, and it was amazing. And I'm like, what am I going to tell? And I'm like, up there, I'm like, today marks an important day in your life. You've worked hard to get through the first five years of your, it was just the dumbest thing ever. I'm just making stuff up to try to, I'm like, you don't even, I should, you don't even need to graduate. Just go to sixth grade. Back in my day, we didn't need this. So it was, a big, it was a big year for us, though. We had graduations all in one year. So anyways, if you have your Bibles, get them out. I'm going to read a big old portion of Scripture, and then I'm going to reference and read a whole lot of scriptures. So if you're taking notes, uh, just get ready to do that. I, I probably won't give you time to turn to all of them. But just believe me when I read them that they're in the Bible. And, uh, and then go back and look at them later. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the passage uh, in Exodus 33 that many of us may know, but let me just give some context for this. The Israelites come out of Egypt, and uh, after, you know, years and years and years and generations and generations of slavery, they come out of Egypt. Three months later, they come to Mount Sinai, and God calls Moses up on the mountain. When he calls him on the mountain, he's going to give them the Ten Commandments. He's going to give them laws. I mean, they're coming out as slaves, and he's got to kind of instruct them on how to live and different things and laws and things like that. So he goes up on the mountain. He's there for 40 days, 40 nights, and, and he's delayed. He takes longer than the Israelites think he should, so they end up making this golden calf to worship. God gets angry, doesn't like it. He tells Moses, he's like, I'm just going to wipe them all out, and I'm going to start over with you. And Moses intercedes for the people and says, don't do that. And uh, the Lord relents. He relents from wiping them out and starting over with Moses, but they go into another conversation in Exodus 33 right after this. And listen to what this is. Exodus 33, verse 1 through 3. 
And then we'll go to verse seven. Exodus 33, verse one. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey for I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you on the way for you're a stiff-necked people. Go down to verse seven. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called to the tabernacle of meeting. It came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 I just lost it for a second. There we go. That all the people rose and each man stood, that's 42 for you right there, and at his tent door and watched Moses until he'd gone in the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. The Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and the people rose and worshiped each man at his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Then Moses said to the Lord, so again, the story goes, he's having a conversation about, I'm gonna get, I'll send my angel with you, I'm not gonna go with you. He goes and he's in the tabernacle and then he picks up the conversation again. Then Moses said to the Lord, verse 12, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me which is not actually accurate. Moses just ignored that he said he's gonna send him with the angel. He said, but you will, he said, but you have not let me know whom you will say, send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, uh, uh, and he said my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. I don't know if you ever wrestled with a decision. Like some people are great at decisions, other people kind of wrestle through making decisions. My daughter, uh, she's 15, my middle child, she's 15, and she is one of those, you just don't control her. Like don't control her, she is the most stubborn girl you've ever met. She will lock in and not move. And when she was a little kid, um, we began to like, there was always these power struggles, so we began to give her choices. And we give her choices for everything. Like literally like, uh, uh, you want me to open the car door or do you want to open the car door? You, I mean, she would just fight. She would fight putting pajamas on at night. So we'd be like, do you want to put your right arm in first or your left arm? Do you want to put your head in first? Do you want to put your pants on first? Do you want to put your left leg, your right leg? I, I'd be like, you want to use your red toothbrush or you want to use your yellow toothbrush? You want to, like everything we give her a choice and it just made her feel so powerful. But, but what was funny was, was you would give her a choice, like legitimately, you'd give her a choice. Do you, you want to put your right arm in first or you want to put your left arm in first? And she would think about it for a while. You know, she'd be three and she'd be like, right arm, okay, you know. And she would just so wrestle with every choice that we gave her. She'd just wrestle through in her head, like, what am I going to choose? This is, Moses, when he comes, he has a decision that he has to make. This is, the decision he has to make is, God comes and says, all right, 
You can go to the promised land. I'll send an angel with you. It's guaranteed success. The angel will fight for you. You're going to go in and possess the land, but I'm not going to go with you. The choice that he had was this. Do I go into the promised land with guaranteed success with, an, with the angel of the Lord, or do I stay in the wilderness with the presence of God? Moses didn't wrestle at all with it. My daughter wrestling through right arm or left arm, like Moses, didn't even, it wasn't even a thought, didn't even blink. He's like, oh, no, 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 that doesn't work for us. If, if you don't go, we just stay here. If you don't go with us, we're not going in. If you don't go with us, we're not going in. This is not a hard choice for me to make. I'm staying right here. And, and Moses, Moses was saying, I would rather live in the wilderness with your presence than the promised land without your presence. Because what matters most to me is your presence. What matters most is your presence. This is not a hard decision to make for me. I'm staying in the wilderness. I'm not going in. Success in the promised land, apart from your presence with us, I choose the wilderness in your presence than that without your presence. And it's very intriguing to me that many people, that, that Moses wanted the presence of God over the promise. Moses was not after the promise, he was after the presence. And, and it's, it's interesting to me that even as believers, there's many things that we're in pursuit of. And many times we're in pursuit of a promise, we're in pursuit of comfort, we're in pursuit of a dream, we're in pursuit of whatever else, when at the core of who we are should be this one thing, it is not a hard decision to make. God, it's your presence that we desire above all else. Your presence we desire above all else. This is the decision that we make, this is an easy choice to make, it's your presence. And what I believe is this, is that God is awakening in the church once again, a passion and a desire for revival that is linked to a desire for the presence of God. I believe that God is awakening the church again. Listen to this passage that Arthur Wallace, he wrote a book called In the Day of Thy Power. It's maybe top three for me as far as revival books. Uh, it was written in 1956. He was one of the fathers of the movement in the UK, a guy named Arthur Wallace, in the day of that power, it's one of my favorites, but listen to what he says. Revival involves two awakening cries. God crying to man, awake, awake, O Zion. These are verses he's referencing out of Isaiah. Revival involves two awakening cries. God crying to man, awake, awake, O Zion. And man crying to God, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord, awake as in the days of the old. Listen to this phrase. When the voice of the Lord has awakened the church, the voice of the church will awaken the Lord and the power of God will be made manifest in the saving of sinners. When it is seen that for a long time the Almighty has slumbered, the cry of the church pierces the heavens, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. I believe that, that we're in a time right now where God is awakening the church. He is awakening believers, that his voice is coming and awakening our hearts. Now in turn, I believe that we're to turn and lift up our voice and that we're going to awaken him in our nation, in our cities, in our churches. But God is awakening our hearts right now and he is awakening our hearts around this issue. There is one thing we're after, it is the presence of God. There is one thing, my heart has become alive to this thing. I desire the presence above all else. This is Psalms 27, four, when David writes, he says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When David is referencing the house of the Lord, 
it, it, he's not talking about the local church. Again, we, 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 we reference that thing that this is the house of the Lord. But he's, he's actually talking about the place where his glory dwells. This is what he says in Psalms 26, 8. I've loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. So when David is referencing in the Old Testament the house of the Lord, he's actually talking about the place where his presence is. And when he says there's one thing that I desire, one thing that I seek, above everything else, this is what my life is about, is I want to be in your presence, I want to experience your presence, I want to be with you. I want to be in your house, that place where your glory dwells. I believe that God is actually awakening and stirring inside of the church this holy, divine dissatisfaction. The church is coming to a place where we, we have this holy dissatisfaction inside of us, that we are not satisfied with anything but your presence with us. Guys, we, we, there is, we have to begin to measure success differently in the church. And, and, and I understand why, like, if, if we're going to see revival, we have to become a people of his presence. We have to become seekers of his presence if we're going to see revival. It's his presence that changes everything. It's his presence that changes everything. It, it is, Moses knew this. Moses said, the people don't need me, they need you. It's not the presence of Moses that changes everything, it's the presence of God that changes everything. And, and one moment in his presence can accomplish more than a lifetime of effort apart from it. If we want to see revival, then the Lord begins to stir our hearts and awakens us to a desire to seek his presence above all else. And therefore in the church, we have to begin to redefine success a little bit. As pastors and in church, again, we're trying, to put our, we're trying to wrap our heads around this thing. We're trying to put our hands around something tangible. So you measure success in a lot of different ways. How many people got saved or how many people came or, or, or this and that. And there are, none of those are bad. None of them are bad. And they're all ways that we can kind of go measure kind of what's going on. But at the end of the day, success has to be connected to this. His presence is with us. That God is active in our midst. That his manifest presence has come with us. There, there's, this, this is that thing that has to begin to awaken. But if we are a people, this, a people of his presence say this, he is our reward. How many people show up at a gathering is not our reward. How many people know me? How many people follow me? How many people buy my book? How whatever, none of that stuff is our reward. He is our great reward. This is what we're alive for. This is what I was created for. This is what I am pursued of. And quite frankly, it's the only thing that's gonna change the world. That's it. It's his presence in our midst that changes the world. This is what Genesis 15:1. Talking about the Lord's interaction with Abram, he comes to him and he says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, and here's the phrase, your exceedingly great reward. It was an easy decision for Moses because Moses had spent time in his presence both on the mountain and in the tabernacle. He had a lifestyle of seeking the presence of God. And so when the decision came, do you want guaranteed success in the promised land or do you want my presence? Easy, I want your presence. I want your presence. 
That's what changes everything. That's what we are created to be, to be in. It's your presence I desire. You're the reward. Not, what you can, not, not the success in the promised land. Your presence is our reward. Reinhard Bonnke, who, I don't know if you know who Reinhard Bonnke is, but you know, one of the you know, foremost premier evangelists in the world um, and, and has done most of his work in Africa, documented. These are people that have filled out salvation cards, not just somebody counting hands. 80 million documented salvations from the work that Reinhard Bonnke has done in his life in, 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 in uh, Africa. 80 million people have come to the Lord in Africa because of his work. And listen to what he says. A friend of mine was just chatting with him and this is what he says. He said, the crowds are not my reward. He's spoken to you know, over a million people at one time. If you've ever seen these pictures, it's just a sea of people. The rewards, the, the crowds are not my reward. Experiencing the presence of Jesus every day is my reward. There is not a secondary priority. There is not a secondary goal. If we are to see revival, if we are to see awakening in our nation, it means we have to become a people of his presence. And if we are a people of his presence, it means that we are seekers of God. That we are after and in pursuit of one thing. And that we measure success one way. I believe that what God's doing is, is he is awakening our hearts to seek him. Many of you in this room, you're here right now and, and you maybe don't have words for it, but there has been this, this stirring or this dissatisfaction in your heart and this desire just to go after God. One of the most concrete promises in all of scripture is this, if you'll seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. I mean, it, it's repeated again and again. If you'll seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. Many of you in this room, God is stirring your heart, and whenever God stirs your heart to seek him, it's because he intends to be found by you. God stirs your heart to seek him because he loves to be found. Do you know one of the main revelations Jesus brought us, one of the things that they wanted to stone him for was the revelation that God is a father that you can come to him as a father, that he'll interact with you as children, that when you pray, you pray to a father. And this was a very blasphemous kind of concept because, I mean, God was creator, but he wasn't father. I mean, Jesus is like, you can call him daddy. You can call him Abba. And, and so this was a very thing, but he, he brings that. And so, so when, we, when we know this, that God stirs your heart to seek him because as a father, he loves to be found. Do you know the game of hide and go seek is extremely different at, as a father than as a kid? As a kid, you know, when we would play in junior high and middle school, and they had, we used to play all the time, and they had like, um, they had, there was a field next to my house growing up, and then they started developing it for a neighborhood. And so they had all these framed houses and all these ditches that they were digging. So in junior high, we'd all go out there at night. And I mean, you're into it, like you're into it. You're in like camo, and you wanna go find some hole and put like a tree over you. And the goal of hide and go seek as a kid is to never be found, ever. Like your goal is that three hours later, your friends are so depressed, so discouraged, so utterly hopeless. They have given up on ever finding you because you're so good at hiding that they finally just quit and go home. That's success. 
Can you imagine if that was my same goal as a dad? Like as a dad, my, my, my goal, success in hide and go seek has completely changed as a dad. In fact, because of this, my kids think I suck at this game because they'll be like, dad, you wanna play hide and go seek? Can you imagine if they're like, you wanna play hide and go seek? I'm like, you sure? Because I'm pretty good. <laughs> Many a friend went home crying in middle school because they couldn't find me. You sure you want a shot at the champ? And uh, you know, and then they're like, one, two, three, uh, ready or not. And I go find some hole, like camo, paint my face, put a tree over me. My kids cannot find me until they finally give up and go home. They're like, mom, I can't find dad. He's pretty good, kids. I'm telling you, you're never going to find him. Like, like, it's a whole new goal now. Now it's like, you know, my kids will be like, one, two, three, ready. And, and I'll go find like some couch, some bad hiding spot, and I'll get behind it. And just to make sure I do this. My, my kids legitimately, they're like, one, two, ready or not, here I come. They're like, his legs sticking out from the couch. He's horrible at this game. <laughs> and then they come find me and jump on me. And like, because the best part of hide and go seek as a dad is being found. It's the found part. God stirs your heart. He stirs the hearts of his children. He stirs his church and his people. And he stirs your heart because he intends to be found by you. This is why he says, when you seek my face, I said, your face will Like, I'm seeking you. I'm going after you because he says that all those who seek me will find me. Ask and you'll be, you know, ask and you receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Because everyone. So he stirs our heart to seek him. And as a people of his presence, our priority is this. I'm going to go after. There, there is a, um, one of the things that we have to realize is, is that, again, if, if we can get this thing. And I just want to paint this prophetic picture for you. I am telling you that God in cities and in this nation that, that we are going to see a move of God happen. And already there's, there's rumblings across the nation of this thing. And it's happening because he is awakening his church to seek him. And he is awakening his church to redefine the top priority. It is, it is his presence with us. And so if I'm a people of his presence, then I become a seeker. I have to be a seeker. I have to be somebody who's going after God. I'm in pursuit of this thing. And, but I have to understand him as a father because as I'm in pursuit of him, I understand that he loves to be found. That, that God right now, you know what God's doing in Mill Creek? I don't know if he's doing it on that street, but <laughs> that's in like the domain of the devil, which you need to take, you need to take control over that take authority over that but uh, do you do you know sorry uh, do, do you know what God's doing in Mill Creek this literally he's stirring your heart and then he's just doing this like God's not hard to find he's available to all those who will pursue him and that's because he's a father one of the things you have to understand is this is that you move the heart of God like you, you move the heart of God. God is moved by you. He is affected by you. He responds to you. 
In fact, this is what separates, Isaiah says this is what separates you from all other gods. Listen, listen to this verse in Isaiah 64, verse four. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. Waiting in scripture is, is not a passive posture, it's a, it's, a, it's a proactive, it's a leaning in posture. Lamentations 3.25 says this, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. So listen to this again. Since the beginning of the world, men have not seen nor perceived thy ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. In other words, God is moved to action by those who seek him. He is moved to action by his children who pursue him. I don't know if you've ever been around a, a seeker or a church that's in pursuit of God. The, the God just becomes active around them. We move the heart of God. This is the absolute brilliance of God in that anytime he wants to come and move somewhere, he first stirs the heart of his people to seek him and to lift up their voice to cry out to him because he knows this, I can't resist the cries of my children. So I wanna show up to Mill Creek so I stir the hearts of my children so they'll lift up their voice to me and then I come and respond. Because we understand we move his heart. My, you know, everybody always tells you whenever you have kids, wait till you have kids, you're gonna get another revelation of the father heart of God. And before you have kids, you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, I don't, whatever, I don't know what you're talking about right now, but that sounds great, thanks. And then you have kids and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this existed. And there's just this place. But, but you very quickly learn that your kids have the ability to move your heart at a level that nobody else does. My, my oldest, when she was, when our firstborn came along, uh, I don't know how, she was 12 months, or 13 months or something like that. And uh, we had had her sleeping through the night, but then through some travel and different things, she started waking up like at 2 a.m. And so it was just easier for me to go in and get her and put her in our bed. We got a big California king, so we just put her in our bed. We were good. But after a while, she started like, um, like turning on her side and stretching out and putting a foot in my back. And I am somebody that needs my space at night. Like I am like, this is my space, that's your space, like, like I need everything just right. And so after a while, I couldn't sleep at night and I just told my wife, I'm like, CJ, I, we can't, CJ, we can't do this. Like I can't sleep at night. She's got a foot in my back all night long. We're like, we gotta get her to sleep all through the night. And both of us were total rookie parents. We're like, well, how do you do that? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't either. So I start asking parents who are like are experienced. And I'm like, hey, Ellie's not sleeping through the night. How do we get her to sleep through the night? They all have the same answer. They're like, oh, that's easy. You gotta break her. <laughs> and I was like, what? They're like, you gotta break her. And I was like, she's not a horse, she's a baby. <laughs> This isn't a horror, like she's a baby. They said, oh yeah. I said, well, how do you break her? They said, you gotta let her cry it out. You gotta let her cry it out? She goes, yeah. They go, yep, and she'll figure it out. She may cry three or four hours. She may go three or four nights. She'll figure it out. Really? Oh yeah. So I went home, I'm like, CJ, I guess we have to break her? We gotta like let her cry it out or something for three or four hours and three. So we're like, all right. So we go to our calendar and we're like, where's four nights that we can break Ellie? So we're like, well, I guess we can take these. This work for you. Works for me. Okay, break Ellie. And um, first night comes and we're all geared up for this. Like we've been planning this. We're ready. So 
she gets up, sure enough, crying at 2 a.m. And I go into Ellie and I'm like, Ellie, she's standing up. She's a fat little round thing. <laughs> she's fat face and she's like, she's kind of crying. And I come in, I said, Ellie, you're a big girl now. And big girls sleep in their own bed. They don't sleep with mommy and daddy. And you're a big girl now, so you sleep in your bed. And I lay her down, she gets up, she's crying. And I go out and I shut her door. She's just screaming. And I go in our room and, and uh, we turn the light on. And uh, you know, it's back for Netflix and everything. We turn our television on, we're gonna watch some infomercials. Like, we're ready. We're like, you ready to do this? Let's do this, three or four hours, it's on. And I turn to my wife, who is the weaker of us, and I'm like, listen. I know you want to go in there and save her, but she'll be fine. That's what they told us, and we're going to break her. We're doing this. So you're ready. She goes, okay, all right. Don't get, don't, come on. So we're sitting there, and about 10 minutes into her screaming, she started doing something that she'd never done while she was crying. She's in there, and she's like, wah, wah. And then she starts going, wah, da, da, wah, da, da, wah. And I am in my room melting. I am literally like, oh my gosh. Oh, my daughter needs me. And I literally, I'm like, my daughter needs me. And I turn to CJ, I'm like, you are so mean for making her cry like that. And I walked in, I kid, I walked in and I said, Ellie, you can sleep with us forever. <laughs> And I put her in our bed, and she slept in our bed for the next year. <laughs> like, guys, there is just something about your kid that moves your heart. We have got to, as a church, begin to understand this thing. That as a people of his presence, as those that are called to be seekers, that I move his heart. I absolutely move his heart when I come and I lift up my voice to him. When I come and I cry out to him. When I come and intercede. God's heart is moved by those who seek him. He's moved to action by those who seek him. Because he is a father who is moved by his children. And there is something as a child. There is. This whole thing doesn't work if we don't understand this. Like, you're called to be a seeker, but it is not out of duty, it is not out of obligation, it is not out of shame, it is not like I work harder and I put my head down, it's out of, I am a child who is in love with my father, and I am in pursuit of him. There's great joy in this thing. You will not understand what it is to be a seeker if you don't understand that he is a father calling his children to pursue him. The Bible, the Bible talks about seeking God, but it talks about diligently seeking him. You know this verse in Hebrews 11:6, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Listen to what the word diligence is. Constant in effort to accomplish something, attentive and persistent in doing anything, done or pursued with persevering attention. This is, this is the definition that should be on my life. I am a diligent seeker of God. That, that I am constant in my effort to pursue him. I am, I am attentive and persistent in pursuing him. Jesus taught on the concept of prayer and he very much said it wasn't just prayer that gets answered, it's persistent prayer that gets answered. Yeah. 
the friend at midnight. It's the unjust judge with the widow. And here's why it's so important to understand God as a father as we seek him and value his presence above all else is, is that do you know who the most persistent people on the planet are? Kids. This is the truth. The most persistent people on the planet. You have kids? It's crazy how they wear you down. Like it's insane. My kids will come up. Can I have this? No, you cannot. And then like five minutes later, I'm like, here you go. I, I, don't even, I don't even know how it happens. This is, they just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. My son, he's 12. And uh, so, you know, when he was a little bit younger, he's still like this. But do you know the five love languages? So he's like, he's off the scale touch. And I'm touch too. I love touch, but he's off the scale touch. If he could, he would Velcro himself to me. In fact, one of the teachers, he goes to a Christmas school, and it was like second grade. It was a parent teacher. They're like, hey, your son's great, man. He's doing great. But he randomly gets up in the middle of the class while I'm teaching to come up and give me a hug. <laughs> and I'm like, I see nothing wrong with that. Why? What's, what's the problem? I give him a star for that? So, so I might come home from work one day, and I'm tired, and, I, and I'm, I, I just want to go sit on the couch and watch some television, and he may be there. And so I'll sit on this end of the couch. He's down there. We're watching television. And all of a sudden, I'll look down, and he's just draped on me. And I'm like, son, get off of me. Sit over there. And then I'll watch TV, and about 30 seconds later, I look back, and he's draped on me again. I'm like, son, get off of me. Sit over there. I'll be watching TV, 30 seconds, he's draped on me again. I finally just give up. I'll just sit in the corner of the couch while he's laying on me, like, fine, I, I can't move. Because there's something <laughs> in the head of a child that's like, I hear get off of me coming out of my dad's mouth, but that cannot be what he means. <laughs> I hear the word no, but he doesn't mean no. And they just keep coming. That, that's why those, those who don't understand God as a father will never understand true seekers who just keep coming. This is the friend at midnight who just keeps knocking. People are like, well, well, you, you, why you, you've been going after an answer to prayer and it hasn't happened. Why do you keep knocking? It's my dad. He'll get up. He'll get up. He's not up yet. He'll get up though. He'll get up. Trust me on this. I know he will. I know he said he's not going to get up because he's already in bed. He'll get up. <laughs> I know he said this. He'll get up. Trust me on this. He's my dad. He's going to get up. Like there's just this thing that just keeps coming and keeps coming. And so it's that, it's that we diligently seek him. God is awakening our hearts, but he's also awakening our hearts to this concept of God as a father. And he calls us to seek him and he calls us to diligently seek him because he intends to be found by us. And, and here's, here's the amazing part. Here's where this thing starts playing into revival. Not just, not, just in a, not just that I find him for myself, not just an encounter for me, but what begins to happen is this. There's something, do, do you know, um, the, the, it's called the law, uh, what, the, Newton's third law. Here, Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton was a physicist and a mathematician and one of the great minds of the 17th century scientific revolution. One of the things he is most famous for is his three laws of motion. Newton's third law states this, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So in other words, if I throw a ball on the ground, it bounces back. For, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. 
That does not apply to seekers. I, I have something called the law of the seeker. And the law of the seeker is this, that for every action, there is a more significant and more substantial reaction. See, God responds to seekers, but he doesn't respond to them in the same manner. He comes more substantial and more significant. You can go throughout scripture on this thing. It's, it's, the, it's the five loaves and two fish. The boy brings him five loaves and two fish, and Jesus doesn't multiply and give him back five loaves and two fish. He multiplies it in a more significant way. So, so as seekers, we understand this, that when I seek God, his response is always greater than my seeking him. This is why even as weak vessels or, hey, we want to begin to gather a prayer meeting and two people come up, two people get together, three people get together. Those three are powerful because those three get a greater response than those three. It's the law of the seeker. This is, this is also why there's another, call, there's another law called the law of the few. This is out of Malcolm Gladwell's book called The Tipping Point, where he does a study on epidemics, both good and bad epidemics, and he goes through the laws of these epidemics. And the first one he says is this, it's the law of the few, that epidemics are never started by the masses, they're always started by the few. There's a handful of people that start this thing. And, and, and this is, again, you see this concept throughout scripture that revival is never started by the masses. It's always started by a few that commit themselves to seeking him with everything they have. It's Jonathan, his armor bearer, two, who decide to go take on an army that ignites a movement. It's Moses, when everybody else wants to stay back, decides to press in and go into the presence of God. It's a few that actually get the breakthrough that leads to the masses. I believe in stadiums full for prayer. I believe in stadiums full, for the, but, but it doesn't start with stadiums gathering. It starts with a handful who are going to commit themselves. Read revival history. It's a handful of young people in Wales who stay after a service and gather for a little bit and confess their sins. It, it's, it's a, I'm, I'm, you read it. It's a handful of elderly ladies who decide to go meet in a barn regularly and cry out to God. They're the ones that get breakthrough. The law of the few is this, that if you will commit yourself to being a seeker, he is not looking for the masses. He's looking for a handful that will respond to this. He's looking for a handful that will say, I will commit my life, I will give myself, not just to be a people or a seeker of your presence in the corporate gathering, which I love, but that every day that I wake up, I commit myself, I'm gonna be a seeker. I'm gonna be somebody who's in pursuit of your presence. I'm gonna drive my car through the city and I'm gonna sit in my cubicle and I'm gonna lay my head down at night and my heart is gonna be alive, it's gonna be awakened to this thing that your presence is what I'm in pursuit of. He's awakening seekers. And he's awakening seekers because not only does he intend to be found by you, but he intends to be found by cities. This is, there's the law of the seeker, which is this, that, that my seeking him gets a, a, a lot bigger response than just me. But there's also something that's this, that your personal breakthrough leads to corporate breakthrough. Again, this, this is a principle you see in scripture. That, that, that if I can press in, I don't just find God for myself, I can find God for a city, I can find God for a generation. There's a really interesting story in Acts chapter 16, 
where Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel. They get taken, they get taken into prison. They're beat. They're put in the inner stocks. Listen to this, Acts 16, verse 24. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were seeking God. Because they, that's what they knew to do, to seek him. And the prisoners were listening to them. So the prisoners weren't seeking God. Paul and Silas were seeking God. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaking. God shows up because God always responds to seekers. What you have to know is this. Those that are committed to seeking him, God always responds. He always responds. So listen to this. And suddenly, uh, the fa- uh, suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. The story is not that Paul and Silas are worshiping and they're praying, they're seeking God. And when God showed up, he loosed their chains and opened the door in front of them. The Bible says that when they got breakthrough, everyone's door was open and everyone's chains were loosed. In other words, Two people seeking God got breakthrough for an entire company of people that weren't seeking God. This is why what happens in this room this weekend is not just confined to this room because if we can get breakthrough, if we can seek God and find him, I don't just find him for myself. I, we can actually find him for a city. Breakthrough begins to happen. There are people across the city that aren't even seeking God. And all of a sudden, he starts sending them dreams. All of a sudden, breakthrough begins to happen in their life. All of a sudden, they begin to encounter him. So I, some of you in this room, you're having a hard time in your marriage. Your marriage has been having a difficult time. Seek God. Get breakthrough in that marriage. Because when I can get breakthrough in that marriage, it doesn't just release, it doesn't just release breakthrough to my marriage. All of a sudden, marriages all across the city begin to experience breakthrough because I decided to press in. This is what seekers understand, that as as children, we go after our father and that our father responds. He doesn't stir my heart so that he can stay hidden, that I can never find him. He stirs my heart because he loves to be found. He loves to be found. And and so when when I come, when I lift up my voice, he responds. I move his heart. It's the very strategy he uses. He wants to show up in Mill Creek and the different, all the cities around here. He stirs the hearts of people. That's what he does. Because he goes, I can't resist your cry, so I'm just going to stir your heart and then I'm going to come. And then when we get breakthrough, when we find him, we find him. Again, this is Moses. Moses was ruined for everything else but the presence of God. He was about one thing. David was about one thing. Moses was like, no, easy decision. I don't measure success by the promised land. I measure success by your presence. And if I don't have your presence, then I don't want to go to the promised land. I'm fine in the wilderness if I have your presence. And so he, he was a seeker. And when nobody else wanted to seek him, he did. Listen to this, and the worship team can come. Exodus chapter 20, talking about Moses. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountains smoking. And then when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that his fear may be for you so that you may not sin. Listen to this verse right here. So the people stood afar off, 
but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. I believe God is awakening seekers, those that will pursue the presence of God above all else. And that even if nobody else goes, because Moses decided to press into the presence of God, an entire nation received breakthrough, even when they wanted to stand off, even when they were passive, even when they didn't want to go after the presence of God, because Moses decided to be a man who went after the presence of God, an entire nation received breakthrough because of his pursuit of God. This is what, like I'm here to tell you this, that God is awakening your heart. He is stirring a dissatisfaction in you for anything else. And it's not just seeking him in the, in the church setting that your heart would become alive to him at your workplace. Your heart would become to alive to him as you drive in the city, as your home at night, that your heart is just alive to saying, God, it's your, it's your presence that I desire above all else. It's your presence that I'm in pursuit of. God's success is defined by, by you've called me to seek you and I wanna seek you above everything else. That I'd be able to pray that prayer that David prayed that, that there's one thing I desire, there's one thing that I seek, there's one thing I'm going after. It's, it's to see you, it's to behold you, it's to be with you in your temple, the, the presence of the God in the house of the Lord. If we're going to see revival, if we're going to see a move of God, if we're going to see an awakening in our day, it's because God has stirred our hearts to seek Him and we have become a people of His presence above all else. We've become a people of His presence. They just say, God, above all else, success is that you would come. I could tell you as pastors, we could tell you this, it's amazing people come to our church and. I just think, God, I, 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 like my presence has never changed anybody. My presence has never set anybody free. My presence, it's, it's your presence that does that. If, if you don't come and touch people's lives, if, if your presence doesn't come and invade what we're doing, and, and, and the reason why Moses, Moses had encountered the authentic presence of God and he was ruined for everything else. He was ruined for everything else. Moses said, I was created for, to be in his presence, not somewhere else. And I'm ruined for anything else. You gotta get to that place in your life where you just say, God, I'm ruined for anything else. But that your presence would be with us, that you're, and, 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 and he lives in us, but, but the manifest presence of God this is the amazing thing and we don't have to get into all this but it's not that like God's outside the room and that he walks into the room God is here it's about turning your hearts it's about turning your affections and your attention to him that as seekers throughout the day we just turn our affections and our attention to God we say God we love you above all else our heart is alive for you that you would be honored in this place, that you would be glorified in this place, that you would come here and that, that the manifest presence of God become, a, that you would become active in our midst. People that don't know Jesus, they've never seen him. When you see him, everything changes. 
when you encounter His presence. How many of you are in this room because you had an encounter with the presence of God? There was a moment in His presence that changed everything. I'm going to take just a moment tonight. I want us to turn our attention. I want us to turn our affection to Him. And, and, and I, I, tonight, some of you have made this commitment in your life. I'm going to be a seeker. And, and tonight, I just want to encourage you, keep going. It's the diligent seekers that get a hold of Him. It's the diligence, those that understand Him as a Father, just keep coming. We just keep coming. I don't have another option. We just keep coming. I'm going to be a seeker, not just right now, not just this year, but, but at 95 years old, that I would be a seeker of God, that I would be a seeker of His presence above all else. And some of you in this room, it's a commitment I want you to make. It says, God, I want my life to be a seeker. I want to be a seeker. I want to be somebody that pursues you. I want to be somebody that defines success, not by the promised land, but by your presence. That my heart would be alive to you. That when I wake up in the morning, there'd be an awareness of your presence with me. That when I lay my head on my pillow at night, there'd be an awareness of God with me. That your presence is with me. Father, I'm here at this church and the different churches represented, but because I know that's the heart of this place. God, I just want to prophetically speak into the destiny and the mandate that's on Mill Creek Foursquare and the, the other two congregations the mandate that you've put on them to above all else value your presence not just because we have five hour services but because we're a people of your presence because we're a people of your presence when we're in the grocery store we're a people of your presence when I'm sitting in the cubicle doing my work I'm a people of your presence when I'm at school we're a people of your presence we seek you above all else God, my heart is that you would ignite this nation with an awakening. You'd ignite this nation with revival. But stir the hearts of the few. God, I pray that the few would understand the power they have to seek you. Just release breakthrough. If you're here tonight and either one, you've already committed to be a seeker or or you're just like, you know, my heart's stirred. I, I want to commit my life. And, and this is a journey you go on. I don't even fully know what this looks like. I just know that my heart is alive to this thing that, God, I want to seek you. If you're here tonight and you just say, I, I want to be somebody who seeks the Lord with all of my heart, that I would commit my life, my days to this. I just want you to stand in response. I want us to lift our hands in this place. hands in this place in response and just say, God, here in Mill Creek, you found a company of people that are committed to your presence, that are committed above all else, that understand above everything else, God, if your presence isn't with us, well, I, nothing separates us. We're just, a, we're just a nice country club if your presence isn't with us. We're an organization that's, that's got cool things going on, but no power to change lives apart from your presence. It wasn't a program that changed my life, God. It was your power. It was your presence that changed me. It was your presence that gripped my heart at 17.
It was your presence that called me. It was your presence that awakened me. It was your presence that set me free. It's your presence, God, above all else that we're after. We'd be a people of your presence. We're here in this room with our hands lifted high, saying, God, above all else, may your church all across the Pacific Northwest be a people of your presence. I just want us to take a moment and worship.